The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah 9-6 and John 16-25-33. For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not know, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and I have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, and that may and that you may have peace. In the world you may have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be to Christ. Oh, that was such good, encouraging word to hear. So well done, thank you. Uh, Beloved, it is the word of God. It is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. It is sweeter also than honey. And the drippings of the honeycomb, would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we would ask now as we come to this, your precious word, that um, you would give us grace to see that wherein we fail, Jesus, the Son of God, on our behalf, mightily prevails. For we ask it in his precious name, the seed who crushed the serpent's head and the Alpha and Omega. Amen. Well, beloved, on behalf of all your pastors here, Merry Christmas this morning. Um, I know I speak for them when I say we love you all so much. And it is uh, our uh, unique privilege to be able to walk with y'all and do life with y'all. Lee Eric, am I right? Todd, am I right? We love y'all so much. St. Augustine lived from 354 to 430. He said this, pondering the incarnation of Jesus. Listen, Listen to this. Maker of the Son, he is made under the Son. In the Father, he remains, but from his mother, he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. But so that his greatness is not diminished by his smallness, nor his smallness overwhelmed by his greatness. He said that in his sermons on Christmas and Epiphany, so eloquent. Beloved, without, without Christ, there is nothing lovely, nothing, nothing beautiful, nothing indeed eloquent. That's why our text this morning in Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7, uh, came like cool water on sore feet for a people weary who had long forgotten a world that was uh, eloquent. They had long forgotten that most eloquent and beautiful Hebrew word, shalom, 
or peace. Now, I know we talk a lot about peace this time of year. For some of us, Christmas Eve is anything but a day of shalom, anything but a day of peace. And the reason why, and you know who you are, is that after Christmas Eve service tonight, you'll realize you really haven't gotten your shopping done and you will engage in what is known as panic shopping. But it'll occur to you that the only place open this time after, uh, after Christmas Eve services are open is a 24-hour Walgreens. And so your options are limited. And so you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe they'll have like a leftover, like Jack Skellington ornament or something. Um, I, was, I was at a mall uh, doing a little shopping. I hopped on an, on an escalator. About halfway down my retail ride, I heard a tiny quivering uh, little voice from up top, mommy, I'm scared. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a little girl holding her mommy's hand, looking up for some sense of security. I mean, after all, right, there is something a little bit intimidating about escalators because they have those teeth that go down, and as the step plate goes down into the, into the bottom, that those could possibly be teeth that would just like chew you up and suck you into the very bowels of, of the mall. She looks up for some sense of, of peace, and, and it was so sweet. It was like a Hallmark moment. Don't be afraid, honey. Mommy's here you're going to be just fine. It was like a Hallmark moment, not, not like a Hallmark movie moment because that would have required like a 25-year-old beautiful young woman who was an upwardly mobile uh, advertising exec at a firm in Manhattan who was on assignment in a little small town outside Toronto where she encounters a very amazing Canadian Long John's model, male supermodel, and they kind of uh, have chemistry, but then there's this mid-movie confusion involving another girl, and so she gets really upset. But it turns out that was his only, his only his sister, so it's okay. So they get back together, but then toward the end of the movie, uh, out of nowhere comes this sudden offering of a promotion. She gets to run the entire advertising firm back in New York if she'll just come back immediately. But instead she stays because this Canadian Long John's model is also the owner of a bakery. And uh, so she stays with him and uh, they bake his famous cinnamon rolls for the Christmas charity bake-off. Yeah. That's like one of one plot uh, that the, the movie, you can see what we watch in our house. This wasn't a Hallmark movie moment. It was just a Hallmark moment. It was so sweet. Uh, you're going to be okay. Uh, I'm here. Um, but then as if to tumble us off the escalator, everything came to a screeching halt in a manner of speaking. When mommy appended her words of comfort, you'll be just fine. Mommy's here with, besides, if you fall off, we'll all fall off. <laughs> Israel had every right to be afraid, very afraid. She was about to fall. And, and to recalcitrant not to see it coming. You read of King Ahaz's sinful, compromising ways in 2 Kings 16 through 17. Israel's rebellion against Yahweh had resulted in his providential use of Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria to mete out his rod of discipline to chasten his people who had become so callous to the covenant. Yet throughout the pages of the prophets, uh, the Lord makes it abundantly clear that those who come against his covenant people are agents of discipline, discipleship really, who after they have served God's purpose of calling the, the people of God back to the covenant, God is going to deal with them as well. But, but can you imagine if God had ever said something like, oh Israel, I, I have striven with you but alas, our enemies are coming against you. I'll protect you as best I can. But if Assyria and Babylon bring their A game, we're all going down. So keep your fingers crossed. You may not be afraid of 
escalators or heights, but we are all afraid. We're all very afraid. Frankly, we've never been more afraid in our entire lives. I see it in my ministry among students, lower school students, middle school students, upper school students, anxiety and panic are swallowing kids alive. I I won't get into all of the technical specifications, but um, the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association reports, and this goes back to 2020, this is before the pandemic, that uh, some 5.6 million kids have been diagnosed with anxiety problems. Some 2.4 million kids uh, had been diagnosed with depression. Uh, That was before the pandemic. The the latest stats I've seen is that now uh, somewhere around 32 to 34% of teenagers have diagnosable issues with with anxiety. I just gave a quick glance uh, at World Magazine's website this week. The headlines ran the gamut from from disorienting to depressing. One, One in particular caught my attention. Ministries and experts urge comprehensive approach to teen overdoses. It dawns on me as I minister among kids today, none of them know life prior to 9-11. None of them know a world prior to 9-11. We need the Prince of Peace so desperately, don't we? You ever feel like a sort of low-grade anxiety just runs in the background of your life? All, all the time, like the operating system on your phone. You know, no matter what app you have opened up, you know, iOS is, is running uh, in the background all the time. No matter what is going on in your life, there's just sort of this low-grade anxiety that's operating in the background, uh, like the operating system of, of, your, of your life. No matter what you're wishing for, or hoping for, whatever you're trying to hide, this just sort of damp, sticky anxiety that just clings to you. Wisdom is mocked by Israel's leader by the time of our text. The mighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob is spurned. The future is bleak. Peace has been ripped from the land, but it is to an ungodly, rebellious, wayward people to whom Messiah comes to rescue and to, to correct and to heal. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Does it ever occur to you, is that That great Old Testament uh, professor in the early days of Westminster Theological Seminary, E.J. Young, points out that this Messiah, this child to be born, this son to be given, reveals to us something of each member of the Trinity. (laughs) After all, Jesus is the Word, John 1.1. God has spoken through Jesus, who is the exact imprint of his being, Hebrews 1, verse 3. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can this be when the three members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, while one in essence, three distinct and eternal persons? Well, as Jesus, the Messiah, in his his very person and work, his compassionate and authoritative headship over us reveals something to us of the Father whom we cannot see. He he is Father-like. And so, Isaiah describes him as an everlasting Father. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 1, verse 18, that he has come to exagesato, the Father, exagesato. It's a Greek word. We get our word exegesis from that. To exegete the scripture, right? When you go to seminary and you learn how to preach and teach the word, you are taught exegesis, how to explain the Hebrew and the Aramaic and, and the Greek. Jesus has come to exegete the Father for us, to explain, to explicate the, the Father uh, for us 
One of the primary conduits, I'm convinced, of fear and anxiety and animus in our world can be traced back to the efforts of the Frankfurt School uh, in the early 20s and 30s as they combined the insights of uh, George William Friedrich Hegel, his atheistic materialism, Karl Marx's uh, class warfare, Sigmund Freud's successful sweeping of society into a sexual therapeutic sense of self, along with their, their agreed upon atheism, these three, like the leaders and the founders of the Frankfurt School and the critical theory that's come with it, they desire to rid society of the perceived oppression of the authority of fathers in both home and society. They promised community, but socialism and communism only leave orphans in their wake. It is a satanic revolution that will never bring reconciliation. Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ who shows us a father who does not oppress but lifts us up. Jesus, like a tender father, tells us we will not be left as orphans as we enter into union with him and into the life-giving community of the church. Throughout the gospel of John, from uh, chapters 12 and forward, we are preparing for the death of Christ. And by the time you get to chapter 14, we enter into what is called the farewell discourse. That Jesus is going to say his final words to his disciples. You think, what would, what would Jesus say to his disciples as he's about to leave? Would he give them sort of a seminar on church growth or, or church marketing? No, he gives them teaching on the Trinity and tribulation. The Trinity and tribulation He speaks of the fact that the Father, the Father who had sent him, that he with the Father would send the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Parakletos, the one who comes alongside and comforts and and counsels, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 1426. To be sure, the Holy Spirit is a distinct person of the Trinity, as is the Father, yet Jesus, our wonderful Counselor, in his gentle heart, Matthew 11, 28 to 28 to 30, my heart is gentle, he says there. He gives us a foretaste of the Holy Spirit that he would send. Salvation, you see, is Trinitarian. That's why J.I. Packer says that the Trinity is the basis of the gospel, and the gospel is a declaration of the Trinity in action. The Father chooses us. The Son purchases us. The Spirit regenerates us, bringing us from death to life, from darkness to light. And Jesus, the Messiah, that Christmas babe reveals what Hebrews 2, 3 refers to as so great salvation. All that truth would be shown to us by one wrapped in swaddling cloths. For he is mighty God whose tiny little baby shoulders are wide enough and strong enough that the government of his people will be laid upon him. But Isaiah will eventually tell us in 52, 13 to 53, 12, that for the government to be laid upon his shoulders, so too would be placed upon him the chastisement that would bring us peace. For by his stripes, we would be healed. After all, he is the prince of shalom. We, We need shalom in the world. We need reconciliation between man and man. This, this Christmas babe is, is a babe who pities 
Sinners like me and, and like you. Pity is a world that, that is lost in such despair. The, the babe whose tears would be wiped away by Mary's gentle touch would one day weep over Jerusalem in Luke 19, 41 to 44 because of the fall that would, would occur in AD 70. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, crying out, weeping over the rebellion of the people of God. And the true and greater Jeremiah, Jesus wept for Jerusalem, the Prince of Peace is a prince of pity. The Christ of the cradle is the Christ of compassion. I, I want to share a little bit about my week. Um, and I, I've received permission to say what I'm about to share. I, that, but there are details and names that I just cannot share. I had the privilege this week of attending a luncheon and giving an opening prayer for a gathering that was uh, put together by Patricia Heaton and uh, her friends, I, I, I would urge you to follow her on Instagram. She has um, long used her considerable platform to speak gospel peace in the issue of the sanctity of human life and for, for the protection of the unborn. And, and of late, she's been using her platform to speak peace, gospel sanity into the, the tragedy that has befallen Israel. This was a gathering of Christian pastors of different stripes and traditions. There were non-denoms, there were Baptistic types, there, there were Charismatics, Roman Catholics, a couple of PCA guys. But despite our uh, theological differences, we were engaged in what Francis Schaeffer calls co-belligerence, wherein Christians with differing theological positions can nonetheless come together for common concern. Our commonality as brothers and sisters in Christ at this luncheon is our breaking hearts over the fallout of the satanic savage that took place on October 7th, the attack at the Tribe of Nova Music Festival in Raim in southern Israel, where Hamas terrorists perpetrated acts of barbarism, the likes of which I dare not detail out of sensitivity in a mixed, a mixed gathering. We, we, we've all seen it. We've all been watching and praying as peace Peace has been dealt a death blow among Jews and Palestinians. As innocent civilians throughout the region, Jew and Palestinian alike, scramble for safety. We came together to, to pray for the safety of Jews and Palestinians who are in harm's way. We came together um, as Christians in order to let Jewish people in Nashville know that Christian pastors care and will not be silent. To let Palestinians in Nashville know that the gospel is for every tribe, tongue, and nation. As we read in Revelation 5 to 7, we came together to pray for the spread of the gospel, the spread of the gospel, which alone can transform the hearts of those ensnared in a worldview that hates Israel, hates Christianity, seeks to force submission, that's what Islam means, to a false view of God. We heard from Jewish people who have turned to Israel's Messiah. We heard from a Palestinian evangelist who lives in danger constantly because they have turned from Allah to the one whose day Abraham rejoiced to see, John 8, 56, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Beloved, I hope that this Christmas is a time of friends, family, and feasting. I hope you get some good stuff. I hope you get what you're asking for, the hints you're dropping. I hope all that comes to you. 
But, but it must also be a season of compassionate pity for the world around us. Literally just last night as I was reviewing this sermon, making some final notes, Daily Wire alert popped up on my phone. A news source, La Parisienne, reported that five Islamic terrorists were arrested in France for planning a Christmas Day massacre at a market in Strasbourg. That would have happened tomorrow. David, why on Christmas Eve? Would you speak to these kind of things? I can understand why you might feel that way. You might think, let's keep things light. It's Christmas Eve. We have guests in town. I understand how we might feel that way. But while we're opening presents with loved ones, there are people in this world who don't even know where their loved ones are. Would we pray? Would we care? Would we frame our hearts in the midst of our great joy for great pity? I, I want to give just a little bit of context to speak into this. The temptation of a pastor to play it safe, to avoid things, especially on Christmas Eve morning, is understandable. I hope you all know my heart well enough to know that I would never say anything provocative for the mere sake of provocation, but preachers must repent of the temptation of genericism. Otherwise, we're not preaching the Jesus of the text. Wait, David, this is the Prince of Peace. Yes, but imagine that you are young parents, newbies. Joseph and Mary, scared, confused. And in Luke 2, 22 to 38, Simeon, that priest, sings his nunc dimittis over your baby son. And then the old priest looks the young teenage girl Mary in the eyes and says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Indeed, this Prince of Peace would one day declare in Matthew 10, 34 to 36, don't think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Christmas places heavy demands on any who would follow the Prince of Peace. And there will be no peace apart from the tribulation that will come to the church. Jesus says that in John 16, 33. We heard it read earlier. I've said these things to you that in me you will have peace, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus does not sanction persecution and tribulation that we're gonna face because of our imbecility or our asininity or our presumption to be jerks for Jesus. But when we desire to follow him, to love his word, to live his word, to live out lives of compassion and courage in Christ, we are going to suffer persecution. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but that does not mean that he is domesticated. It does not mean that he is tame, right? You'll understand when you see him. But shall we see him as Susan? Why, daughter of Eve, that's what I brought you here for. I am gonna lead you, you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is, is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan, a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly, certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. 
do you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mr. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe makes for great Christmas reading. The Christmas place is heavy demands on any who would preach the Prince of Peace, that we not play it safe. As preachers who love the flock, who have a passion for the lost, we dare not play it safe when we preach as if we're trying to protect our jobs rather than protect our flocks. And speaking of protection, this babe whose tears would be wiped away by Mary's gentle touch would one day weep at the entrance of Lazarus' grave in 1137 of John's gospel. Didn't Charles Wesley teach us to sing this time of year, from our fears and sins release us? What do we fear? I said we were afraid earlier. What do we fear? I read the first four chapters of Mark, the first seven chapters of Luke. You'll see Jesus showing himself powerful over the five things you and I fear the most. Sin, the demonic realm, sickness, natural disaster and calamity, even death itself. J.R.R. Tolkien said that the whole point of the Lord of the Rings was about death. 1968 BBC interview Entitled Tolkien in Oxford, he said, if you really come down to any large story that interests people, holding their attention for a considerable time, or make them, the, the stories are practically always, they're always human stories, but they are always about one thing, aren't they? Death. The inevitability of death. And then Tolkien pulls out a scrap of paper upon which is a quotation from French uh, philosopher Simone de Beauvoir, and he quotes this atheistic philosopher there is no such thing as a natural death. Nothing that happens to a man is ever natural, since his presence calls the whole world into question. All men must die, but for every man his death is an accident, and even if he knows it and consents to it, an unjustifiable violation. How is it that someone who rejects Christ can view death as an unjustifiable violation? Because created in the image of God is the inescapable unavoidable awareness that death is not the way it is supposed to be. It's not just the Lord of the Rings that is about the inevitability of death. The passage we read this morning, the Christmas story is about the inevitability of death in one sense. We fear death. It's as if it just stalks us. But Jesus came, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, for two reasons. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus came to destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of us who through our fear of death were held in lifelong bondage. See, something fierce was laid in the manger. When you see the Prince of Peace, that babe in the manger scene, know that he came to reign as your eternal king. Right? We expect to see cattle and a camel, perhaps a donkey in, in the manger scene. But who would have thought, who would have ever thought as the, the old Christmas carol, once in royal David city, 
in a lowly cattle stall was a lion. Next time you look at the manger scene, don't just see the sheep and the camel and the oxen. Look for the lion. Look for the lion. And, and especially for those of you for whom Christmas is, a, is really hard because your heart breaks because you, you won't have people around your table that you have had to say goodbye to temporarily. Revelation 5, 5, and one of the elders said to me, said, John, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then in 21 verse 4, John writes, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Merry Christmas, for the former things have passed away. That's a quotation in Revelation 21.4 of Isaiah 25, verse 8. We need shalom in the world. We need shalom within. We need reconciliation with God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but he makes peace, Colossians 1.20, by the blood of his cross. That's what Paul says. He makes peace by the blood of his cross. He says in Colossians 2.14 that he takes our sin and he nails them to the cross, canceling the record of sin debt that stood against you and me. I'll never forget when my son said, that's the kind of cancel culture we need. When we live among one another with an awareness that our sin debt has been canceled. Propitiation, I think, is the most beautiful word in the whole of Scripture. The atonement of Jesus Christ, the, satis the satisfaction of God's just wrath against my sin and yours. And beloved, there's really only two responses to this baby in the manger. Receive him or reject him. Do not patronize him. Again, C.S. Lewis, 1898-1963 says this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Page 101 of God in the Dock. If you believe in Christ this morning, or if you say, I don't know that I believe in Christ, maybe you're just exploring the truth claims of Christianity, please understand this is for you. For all of us here, Romans 3, 21 to 26, turn there. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, Christ died for God, and God was satisfied with Christ. Christ died to justify God in justifying you and me. That's why we sing with that greatest hymn that's ever been written, 
ought to be a Christmas hymn. You know what I'm going to say, Pam Ferris, tell me. Let us love and sing and wonder. Verse 4, let us wonder. Grace and justice join and point to mercy's store. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. Merry Christmas. The justice of God has been satisfied. And that's why Paul can say also, Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God, shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. All of that truth to be shown to us by the Prince of Peace wrapped in swaddling cloths so that you and I could be wrapped in a robe of his righteousness, Isaiah 61, verse 10. The Father gives his son for us. If you follow me on socials, and you really should, because I am Instafire, you know. Um, but if you, follow, <laughs> if you follow me on social media, this has been uh, an incredible week in our family's life. Uh, my son, my precious baby boy, asked a precious girl to be his wife. And they got engaged this week. And um, they're actually here up in the, up in the balcony. Um, I said to her at the engagement party, said to Lucy, with its friends gathered around, some of y'all were there. I, I said to her, I said, um, this, this, this young man is the prince of our family's hearts. And we have poured ourselves into him. I, I have poured myself into him for 23 years to disciple him in Christ so that he could be for you what he needs to be. Giving her my son. The father in heaven has been in relationship with his son from all eternity and what he wants to give you is him. Psalm 63, three, your love, O Lord, is better than life, therefore my lips will praise you. What, what do you want? <laughs> For Christmas this year? What do you want? You've been dropping hints? Been dropping hints? Do any of you ever like buy stuff for yourself and put it under the tree? Like, yeah, you see? <laughs> That's so lame. <laughs> I do it too. Um, guess what I'm getting for Christmas this year? Charles Williams, the third inkling. <laughs> Paid 75 cents for this. It's brand new. Paid 75 cents for it. Can neither confirm nor deny the report that I've already started reading it. So, <laughs> thanks, babe. Um, oh, <laughs> I'm also getting for Christmas uh, this year from me. I'm getting a, a vintage Gollum action figure. <laughs> and, and what's so awesome about this is you can put him here on the stand. You put him on his stand, and then you press the button. You press the button here. Well, let me see here. You should be able to press the button, and it would say, my precious. When I say it's vintage, it's really vintage. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Diane. Uh, I, I know what I'm getting for Christmas this year. <laughs> you ever do that because you, you drop the hints, but it just never works out? Like there was that debacle last year. You told the man in your life you wanted Lululemon, right? You told him you wanted Lululemon. And under the Christmas tree, you find that he went to Cracker Barrel and got you a CD of Hee Haw Gospel Favorites from Lulu Roman. <laughs> and so 
we try to get the stuff we want for ourselves, right? We try to get what we want to make that low-grade anxiety go away. More money, if I could just get on that inner circle of that friend group, I could have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, more Botox, more likes on Instagram, whatever, whatever it is. What we need most, beloved, we cannot buy for ourselves. What we need most must be given to us. So we need to, like Mary, ponder, run, and don't walk. The Prince of Peace has defeated death and says dinner is served. Lewis says that Christ is the first fruits, the pioneer of life in his resurrection. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. The Christmas story is about the inevitability of death. But moreover, it is about the impossibility of death to hold Jesus or you in its cold clutches. The shepherds were in their fields when they heard the angel song, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, Luke 2.14, that's you and me. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Her pondering heart would be a pierced heart when she would see her baby boy, now a man, writhing in anguish on the cross. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told. And the shepherds saw the shepherd whose manger would put the grave on notice that its days are numbered. The shepherd who prepares a table for us in the presence of our greatest enemy, Psalm 23, 6, even death itself, you see the cradle was the first step to the cross, which was the way to the crown, the crown of a king who spreads for us this morning a king's feast. Indeed, Mary laid her baby in a manger because he was given to us to be food from the very beginning. I wonder when Mary wearily prepared that manger and gently laid Jesus there, could she have known that she was spreading a table? for sinners who desperately need a kiss from the Prince of Peace.